Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Welcome to your podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. So I have a good fortune to be joined by Christy Ann of Practical Happiness Living. Christy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Seth. It is our pleasure. Now, uh, tell, let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Uh, I got started teaching yoga uh, to autistic children initially. Okay, so yoga to autistic kids. What inspired you to become a yoga teacher in that target market specifically? Uh, I was inspired to become a yoga teacher actually when I was in a terrible car accident that threw my hips off and I started taking yoga and I realized how much it helped not just like the physical aspect of my healing but on this emotional mental level just really kind of clearing my life of clutter and and uh, drama unnecessary chatter in the brain um, and then I was really targeting because my father's disabled I wanted to really target the market of those who thought they couldn't do yoga so um, I initially started working with uh, disabled people, and then that segued into um, autism. So you've got a real passion for helping people. Yes. Awesome. So how it say? So you started with folks who thought they couldn't do yoga, who were disabled, and then segue. How, how did you segue into autistic kids? Um, I found a um, a group actually called We Fun, which is out in Pasadena, and they are a therapy center. And they were interested in the idea of exploring yoga, um, not just for the kids, but also for the parents to help them cope with the emotional challenges of having a child on the spectrum. So I really loved the idea of bringing it to the whole family because you can, you know, help a child or, but it's really until the parents, until everybody's on board and on the same page um, and really being those like cheerleaders for each other and celebrating what's working that's when real shifts begin to take place. Absolutely. Uh, my wife is a marriage counselor, therapist, and social worker. And she's often said, you know, the parents will come and say, fix the kid. And what you really need to do is fix, every, you know, fix the parents. And then magically the kid doesn't have the issues anymore. Absolutely. So how did that segue transfer? Because that's um, a little bit different than what you're doing now. Talk about the evolution from autistic kid yoga to what you're doing now. So autistic kids don't stay kids, right? Everybody grows up, nobody stays a child. Um, and so the challenge that was coming about was as these kids were becoming adults, um, parents being willing and able to support them in those transitions of wanting to live a life just like everybody else, wanting to date, wanting to be independent, wanting to hold a job, wanting to have intimate relationships. And it was an area where nobody knew how to talk about it and nobody wanted to talk about it. It was like the elephant in the room that everyone was trying to pretend wasn't there. Um, and I, coming from a background, um, also like a hobby of mine was doing burlesque. So I had a lot of um, comfort in just being able to talk about sex and sexuality in a way that was not judgmental. And so my own comfort and um, an embrace of that helped other people feel comfortable and saying like, okay, well, let's talk about this. Like, how do we 
teach you know our kids about consent and boundaries and how to get out into the dating world um, and so that's where it began to segue more and more and i realized just in general we all need more education and information around consent and boundaries and how to be intimate with ourselves and intimate with uh, each other in a community and in a partnership absolutely so how would you describe what you're doing now so what i'm doing some elevator what elevator pitch what do you do um i am an intimacy architect so my goal is to teach you to have a healthy intimate relationship with yourself um, on a well-being level how you're physically treating your body what you're eating um, what you're doing as far as activities to nurture yourself and then through that to create these relationships that bring more intimacy into your life. So not just these superficial surface connections, but really to get deeper, to allow yourself to be vulnerable. And in order to be vulnerable, we need to feel safe. And what makes us feel safe is having healthy consent and boundaries. When we're really clear about where our boundaries are, what it is that we want, what it is that is not acceptable in our lives, we don't settle then. And we really start asking for what we want. And then we're really great at you know, accepting if somebody says no, maybe that isn't what they want. We can really like line up with the people who are enthusiastic and on the same track. So then we're really creating communities where everybody is supporting one another and we're all working together towards that, that goal. That is a beautiful mission statement. So that you are a beautiful mission that you are on. So how, I mean, how big is the problem? Obviously we've got some significant intimacy issues in our society as a whole. Um, talk a little bit about you know what's been going on. We're recording this at the end of January. It'll, it'll air in February about what's been going on in the news almost every other day. Obviously, right. there seems to be some intimacy issues all the way up to the top. Yes. Um, so the Me Too movement was something very personal to me. Um, and in the course of teaching yoga, it would come up time and time again um, that people had abuse trauma issues. They would come you know, looking to just do sun salutes and stretch, and then inevitably it would come up that like the root of their problems um, in not being able to be intimate with their partner or you know settling for jobs that they hated um, or having friends that were abusive towards them all resulted from these unhealed wounds um, and so i think more and more now we're really seeing that these incidents you know how do we go how do we teach at like the basic level consent and boundaries so these incidents don't snowball um, I'm seeing that that's like the main issue right now is that we're not taking into consideration simple things about like the way we greet each other, um, that we, you know, just assume that you should reach your hand out to touch somebody. Um, and again, that ties back in with the autism. A lot of people on the spectrum have a really hard time with physical touch. So I think there's a lot of things we're not thinking about and we're, we're just like going on autopilot as a society, pushing forward. Um, and instead we kind of need to like reframe how we initially teach people um, to interact and how do we touch one another and how do we ask to touch one another? Um, how do we really kind of step back and, and own our part, own, you know, that maybe we weren't taught this. I was certainly taught to the contrary. I was taught that I had to like hug the creepy family member I didn't want to go anywhere near. Um, you know, I was taught that that boys, if they were mean to me, that meant that they liked me. Um, you know, I was taught that my no was really just a, a, a starting point for persuasion and, and uh, you know, and it was just a matter of time before somebody could negotiate their way around it. Um, and so I think just owning that to begin with, to say like, okay, look, 
we didn't really have it all figured out. We know better now. We know now to really honor when somebody says no to you, to actually be thankful for that. Because anytime somebody's saying no to you, they're really trying to take care of themselves. And you know, anytime we do something that we didn't really want to do, you end up having all this regret and all this drama that comes as, as a part of it. So I think going back and really just starting from the ground point of how we're teaching um, kids and then how we're kind of rewiring our own brains to think like, okay, how am I going to approach somebody at the next business meeting? Am I going to ask them if they would like to shake my hand, if they, you know, want to interact with me? Um, even with people giving you cards. I mean, I have that happen all the time. Someone's like, here, take my card. I'm like, did I ask for your card? Um, so it's all these little things that then it like spirals and spirals to, oh, I could just grab your ass or I could just, you know, if you say no to me. Um, and I know it seems like a, a far gap, but it really is all these like little pebbles that we were like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal if I, you know, put my arm around you and then it escalates and escalates. So we kind of need to dial it back and, and really start evaluating, like, how are we interacting and how can we just be really more conscious of ourselves? Like, do I want this? Would I want somebody to come at me in this way and attempt to to touch me or interact with me? Um, and then how am I going to respond? How, how am I using each moment as a teaching lesson to say, hey, you know what? I have boundaries. These are my boundaries. I know maybe you didn't understand this or, or weren't aware of it, but let me take a moment to lay it out for you. This is how it works with me. You have to ask before you make any you know, attempt to interact. Um, you know, I think consent is a really, it, it's, we teach kids so many things and it's something we, we really sort of gloss over. Um, the idea that we have the right to consent to what we want to take part in. Absolutely. So who is your, who are your ideal clients for this? Uh, right now, my ideal clients are um, families, um, you know, so that I can really work with families to help them, like as parents, increase the intimacy that they have in their lives. And so that they are teaching their kids healthy consent and boundaries. So as their kids grow up, um, you know, I feel like this is what we can do. You know, we, the, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, but, but we can certainly take steps now to create a future where these aren't, you know, epidemic issues, um, abuse and, uh, and that. So how does a family know they need you? Do they know they, I mean, what are, what are some of the intimacy mistakes that they're making that would trigger them? Let's say if, let's say there's a father or a husband or a wife watching this, listening to this, what would sort of trigger them to say, hey, I need to, I need Christiane's magical help with this? Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, the most obvious is if you're not having sex um, with your partner and, um, or if you are having sex, but nobody's really present. If you're having sex with your partner and you're daydreaming about somebody else, or you're thinking about the grocery list, or you're thinking about what time the kids have to go to soccer, um, or you're, you know, you're thinking about that business meeting, or you know, if you're not really present with your partner when you are attempting, um, and, and sex is becoming this thing where it's just like, oh, it's my birthday, I get to have sex. Oh, it's our anniversary, so that means we have sex. Um, and no one's choosing. I feel like that's a big part of consent and boundaries is it really reminds you of your power of choice and what are you choosing to do. So if you're kind of going through the motions um, and just sort of settling for like whatever your partner is giving you, that's a sign that there's, you know, issues with your intimacy. And then it just, it has this like spiraling out effect. Like if you're not really happy 
and, and you don't really feel connected and loved, then you tend to be unhappy at work. You tend to, to have a shorter fuse. Um, you tend to you know, see it with the way you relate to your kids. You're not really as present with them either. You're kind of easily irritated at, at the things that they're doing. You don't really have the same joy for wanting to like engage in your life. That makes, okay, so if we're not having the level of intimacy or the frequency of intimacy or the presence during intimacy, that would be a sign that we might need some help in this area. What about that? So that's as a couple, as a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, what about in the workplace? In the workplace, um, I mean, I think it's That so seems important. to be what's on the headlines yeah. every day lately. Right. Um, is, is one that, you know, we, you wouldn't grab your male coworkers ass. It, you know, you wouldn't tell your male coworker, wow, that suit looks really hot on you. You know, it brings out your eyes. Um, I mean, it, I, I would be really shocked to find out that any of your viewers have told their male coworker they need to smile more. Um, <laughs> you know, these things that like we, for some reason in the society, somewhere along the way, um, came under the impression that it was okay to talk to women in this really objectified way um, as if they're there for the entertainment and pleasure of, of others. Um, and that's not the case. You know, none of us are here to, to entertain or, or, you know, or be the, the reason why, you know, you're, you're excited to go to work. Like you should be excited to go to work because you love your job, not because your hot secretary is, you know, is going to maybe wear a short skirt today. Um, and so I think just really kind of, again, scoping, like, would I want someone to say this to me? Would I want someone to tell me I need to smile more or dress up prettier or put on makeup? You know, um, it's just unnecessary and, and really not appropriate. Um, I certainly invite people to, to ask if I want to receive a compliment, you know, just like you would ask for anything else. Like, do you want to have a business meeting? Do you want to have tea or lunch? Like these are things that, you know, just check in with somebody, find out, find out if they want to receive this piece of information you want to give them. Um, and also really check in with yourself. Are you just saying this because it makes you feel better? Are you fishing? You know, I find often that compliments in the workplace were people just fishing to see, was I in a relationship? Was I available for dating? Um, was I interested in them? They actually weren't trying to give me a genuine compliment, they really were just fishing to see, did they have a chance to sleep with me? There was an and, ulterior motive. Yeah, and you know, I mean, one of the earliest things my parents ever taught me was, you don't crap where you eat. You don't, <laughs> you know, there's a pool of people. Yeah, my dad told me, don't dip your pen in the company ink. Yep, different exactly. way of saying the same thing. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's a slew of dating resources. There's no reason why you need to dip into your work pool as, you know, um, and I get it that you, you spend most of your time at work, you know, the average American does. And so you're around these people. And so you're going to form relationships, possibly friendships, and, and certainly friendships can lead to intimate relationships. Um, but I would say, yeah, you know, check in first, really, what is your motive? Because that I think is where the line gets drawn like it, it's very clear to to some people um whether or not that compliment or or comment comes from a genuine place or if it has this like creepy vibe to it um and you know and no one wants to be the creepy person no um, we're anti-creepy yeah 
So, you know, certainly, yeah, just kind of gauge, like, why is it that you're, you feel the need to share this piece of information? Um, I always check in with myself, is this true? Is this necessary? You know, most of the time, not the case. Like, a lot of the times, things that I, I think, oh, I should tell them that, it's like, it may not really be true to them. Um, and it's probably not necessary. I mean, we have thousands of thoughts a day, like, why do you need to express this one at this moment? Um, is it benefiting anybody? Or, you know, are you just fishing in hopes that you might get laid later? Um, well, on that note, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so for folks either at home who would like to increase the in intimacy in their own lives or folks at work who would like to know, to learn how to teach their employees, how to have better boundaries so that they have less intimacy issues, what is the best place, best way for them to learn more about you and get in touch with you? Uh, practicalhappinessliving.weebly.com. All right, we will put that link in the show notes. This has been Christiane from practicalhappinessliving.weebly.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Seth. Thanks everybody for listening and watching. We will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this special productivity series of the Direct Response Marketing Podcast. I've interviewed hundreds of the most successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and CEOs all over the world. And I want to share with you one of the biggest ways I've discovered to triple your productivity that I've learned from these amazing people. Even better, I'll pay you $500 to test drive it. Just go to take the 500 challenge.com that's www.takethe500challenge.com to learn more thanks so much for listening this show has been produced by market domination llc to discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace go to www.marketdominationllc.com/podcastoffer this podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.